Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. So here on the nose, we have this term. It's called the, the Papulian through line. It's named after Irene Papoulis. And the notion is that quite frequently when we look at the topics that we have kind of randomly selected to talk about, that there are these odd little connections. Not always. I think today it's really easy, though. I mean, in a way, you know, Tony Soprano is the Dave Chappelle of organized crime <laughs> in the sense that both of these uh, both of these male characters, and, and I think Chappelle's comedic persona is, to a certain degree, a character. They fascinate us because there's something very alluring about them, something that makes us want to see them and listen to them talk. And yet we know many of the things that are going to come out of them are going to be appalling, that they, they both have a massive capacity for destructive behavior. Um, and, and yet that's part of the fascination we have, too. So so there's my Papulian through line. You can take it or leave it. I'd be OK if you left it. Uh, but we're going to talk about both of those things today uh, with Rich Holland, who is a principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center and Commissioner of Cultural Affairs for the city of Hartford, uh, and uh, Carolyn Payne, an actress, comedian, dancer, and the founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. And that barely scratches the surface. So uh, we're going to begin by talking about The Many Saints of Newark, which is the attempt to create some kind of prequel to The Sopranos uh, and and maybe also a Tony Soprano origin story, although I think we, we, we may have a little bit of a debate about whether that happens or not. And then we will talk about uh, Dave Chappelle's spec- latest Netflix special. It's called The Closer. It is, according to him, the kind of capstone uh, at the end of a long series of Netflix specials. Uh, he wants to step away from the conversation that he has started um, some people might say he wants to step away from the fire that he has set uh, and the, a fire that is still burning. So anyway, lots to talk about. Excited to have Rich and Carolyn. Um, and we're going to begin with The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, the title is a little bit of a, a wordplay uh, about the the family, the Moltisanti family. Uh, you knew Christopher Moltisanti if you watched The Sopranos. Uh, the focus uh, of this film is very much on his father, Dickie Moltisanti. Uh, and before we get the panel going on this, we're going to play a clip from The Many Saints of Newark. This is like about 40 minutes into the movie. Uh, and we, what you're going to hear is uh, Dickie Moltisanti, uh, played by Alessandro Nivola, uh, visiting his uncle, Salvador Sally Moltisanti, uh, in prison. Both, uh, both Sally, who's the uncle of Dickie. <laughs> these, these Sopranos-based family relationships are complicated. Uh, both Sally, who is the uncle of Dickie, uh, and Hollywood Dick, who is the father of Dickie, they're both played by Ray Liotta. I hope that's clear. Uh, here's the clip. I came to tell you, your brother, my dad, he passed. They burned him up in the riots. 
Well, you being out here isolated, out of contact with the family, my old man said you deserved it, but I want to do whatever I can to help you from now on. It wasn't right how they treated you. I was 25. I murdered a maid guy in our own family. I'm here for a good reason. You don't need to help me. But what do you want, Richard? I'll be honest with you. I want to do a good deed. Huh? A what? A good deed. Miles. Birth of the cool. What? It's a record. I'm a jazz nut. Bring me a copy next time you come. If you come. So there we go. So, Rich, uh, actually, this was a scene that, uh, among many scenes, I think, caught your interest in, in certain ways. Maybe before we really focus in on that, though, just kind of give me a sense of, of how you think this David Chase project is working. So I think it's as a piece of entertainment, it's working extremely well. It's fun to watch. It's beautiful in the way that we've learned how to do beauty really well right now. Um, it's, uh, it paces incredibly well, uh, while trying to pack in a lot of details. Um, and, uh, the arc of the story, uh, you know, the plots and the subplots and the, you know, and how things are woven together is just, you know, brilliantly done, you know? So in that, in that regard, I think that it was really strong. I think that some of the dialogue was sloppy and there are little bits of it that are here you know, an attempt to try and get us as much information as possible uh, for those of us uh, who only saw some of the Sopranos or, you know, or none of the Sopranos at all. I think that there's some overthinking of how much explaining needs to take place and it spills over into obvious places, like in this instance, like, you know, having to tell you that I'm a jazz nut, just in case you didn't know who Miles Davis was, um, you know, uh, you know, and then it gets a little awkward in some spots. Um, uh, but it plays off of these sort of incredibly familiar tropes um, and uh, with incredibly uh, unlikable characters who are all train wrecks. And, um, and that's great fun and entertaining. And uh, I liked it a great deal in that regard. All right. And Carolyn, how about you? So I think that one of the things that this does strongest is kind of uh, tap into that Sopranos nostalgia for people who were fans of the Sopranos, like myself, there's all these great little nuggets, especially in the performances of the actors uh, who are playing the, you know, like Silvio and Polly and Junior and seeing these younger versions of them. I think these actors did an incredible job capturing the essence of these very distinct characters and personalities especially, I, I believe the actor's name is Corey Stahl, who played uh, Junior. Mm -hmm. um, I thought he did, Junior to me is one of my favorite characters in The Sopranos, because he is just, I mean, he is, he's a true terrifying menace, but at the same time, he's also a buffoon. At, like that in The Sopranos, when he gets his hand caught in the drain of his own house, trying to clean out the garbage disposal, and he's stuck there and he's like under house arrest. He's just so pitiful, but also just so terrifying. And uh, I think that Corey Stahl really was able to capture uh, Dominic Chianti, I think was the actor who played Junior. He was able to capture that and not in a way that he was doing an impression of him either. It was just really well crafted. So I think that 
in that, I was really excited by this. Uh, but I struggled with, I, I struggled with it sometimes because it didn't, it didn't totally fulfill my dreams of what a Sopranos prequel was going to be. But I also think that this is definitely leading up to something to come. I think we're about to see uh, more of the Saints of Newark. I think we're going to get a series on HBO. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I first of all, Rich, I, I had a very similar reaction to you. Uh, I mean, that made me distrust it a little bit, too, in the sense that I, I thought this is like a great snack food, right? I'm just eating one chip after another as I'm watching this. And it's enjoyable the way a snack food is enjoyable. Uh, but I also felt kind of uh, that maybe I consumed, consumed a fair number of empty calories at the end. And it, dis, it did seem to be a movie that never really grappled with any particular premise, you know, that, that it, it flirted with a lot of different things. I mean, including the notion that there is something special about Tony. At one point, I think the, the sort of young Silvio, uh, Sil says this uh, to Dickie Moltisanti, but we never really see that. He says he could be bigger than this thing of ours, you know, and I, there's no real indication looking at this, the character who's played by, of course, James Gandolfini's son, that, that there's anything special about him. And I also feel like, you know, one of the things that it introduces in a much more direct and visceral way, particularly through the person of a character named Harold, played by Leslie Odoms Jr., is race and the race riots in Newark in 67. But, Rich, I feel like that's not something that you can really have as a side plot that no. you don't particularly resolve in any particular way. Either you're going to you know, roll up your sleeves and, and look at all of that, but I feel like they flirt with it the way they flirt with so many things in this movie. That's exactly it. They they completely flirted with that. It became a plot device, right? I mean, it, it that the entire race uh, riot was used to advance one piece of plot line, uh, which I'm not going to share yet, um, uh, that had nothing to do with the riots. Well, you know, maybe it had something to do with the riots because all the pieces are kind of interconnected, but not uh, profoundly and meaningfully interconnected, right? Um, so, yeah, that was that was a... Um, there was a lot more there, and part of the issue for me as well is that there were there, there were hints of um, some of the um, some of the racism and the the cultural um, uh, breakdowns uh, that never quite played out in a way that it had depth. And I think that some of that is this issue with um, uh, with I think that we're losing the ability to write really profound parts for men now. You know, even though men are primarily the leads, you know, they, they just never actually get deep. Um, uh, they become sort of cliches and stand-ins for an idea. Um, whereas in, in this piece, I think that the women were just tremendous, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that I've been on the show a couple of times where, where, I, where that's been the, the observation, right? The men are playing along the way we expect them to play along and they get the lion's share of... Um, of the uh, of the action, and the women get it this narrow little slice. But what they do with that little slice is nuanced and complicated, and um, and uh, they end up having to fend for uh, their own presence in these in these films and do a breathtaking uh, job of it. I'm dying for the day where we flip that script, right? Mm -hmm. You know, where we give these really meaty complicated parts uh to women 
and uh, and watch them carry it. Uh, in this instance, I'm I'm referring to Fira um, uh, from Formiga, I think. Yes. Um, uh, who uh, played um, Tony Soprano's uh, mother? Um, and ultimately, like if you watch this thing from the first get go, you know it's clear that he marries his mother, and you know, and he has a he will grow up to have a love affair um, uh, with his surrogate dad's mistress. Uh, on a number of occasions and, you know, and some of those sort of ways in which men enter into relationship with women become, you know, stand in cliches. And yet uh, what the women do with this thing is they hold you to it. Yeah. Um, I have so much that I want to say about that, but I, I want to come back to you, uh, Carolyn, and, and just sort of say, you know, it, to whatever extent we love The Sopranos, and, and and I think there's a lot of people, and you might be one of them, who love The Sopranos in a way that maybe even surprised you. Maybe you're not naturally uh, attracted to movies uh, about members of the Cosa Nostra. Um, but the TV series, we loved it partly because it just begins with a new and somewhat modern perspective. I mean, the, essentially the first thing that we see is Tony in a psychotherapy session. I mean, just talking about uh, his struggle with all of this and his sense that maybe he, he's already a dinosaur. Maybe he didn't get in the on the ground floor. Uh, he's, you know, he, maybe he came too late. But, but and all the way through the series, those sessions with Dr. Melfi sort of, you know, constitute this sort of meta commentary on everything else that's happening. And then to me, the other thing that's fascinating about The Sopranos is we're seeing for the first time gangsters whose understanding of themselves is conditioned by cinema, that they've seen The Godfather, they've seen Goodfellas, uh, they talk about Marty Scorsese like they know him. Uh, and, and there's a way in which their understanding of what they should do and how they should act is not necessarily a product of their native inclinations, but a product of movies that they've seen about much more elevated versions of themselves. And, and to me, those two things are really fascinating. The second one is impossible to do in a movie set in 1967. And, and the first one is just sort of nowhere on the menu, which makes it fundamentally less interesting to me. But I'd love to hear sort of some anything you might want to say about that. That was a very loaded, long-winded question. Yes, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not even sure what I'm answering, Colin. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that you can't you can't go into watching this or I'd like to warn people if they haven't watched it yet to go don't try to watch this thinking you're going to be watching the sopranos mm. uh it's done very differently um and a lot of it is because the characters are are presented differently like they aren't they they I think what made The Sopranos so special, because, yeah, I'm not somebody. In fact, when I, when it was suggested to me to watch this, I, I was like, no, I'm not going to be into that show at all. Um, it was actually like I started watching it later. It was towards the end of the show. I was in college and my college boyfriend actually was like he wanted me to watch it. We weren't even dating yet. And he like we started watching The Sopranos together and then that led us to spending time together. And then we ended up dating. But and the best thing that I got out of that time was watching The Sopranos. But the I, I was resistant to it. And what captivated me right away was the characters. And a character like Tony Soprano, who is awful. He's just an awful person. And yet I loved him so much. Uh, and the, the Many Saints of Newark was interesting to me because... 
there wasn't a character like that. Like you weren't, Moltisanti is not somebody that you're, that you love. In, in fact, he's a monster. He, he just really is a true monster. And that's what I found this did best was those little, the little moments where you get to see young Tony Soprano and like him stealing an ice cream truck to then just give out free ice cream is the exact kind of reason that Tony worked as a character because even though he was part of this monster mob culture, there was something about him that was so, there There was this like human side to him, this kind of, uh, you know, like the, the, the kind of man who's sitting there watching ducks grow up in his pool and feeling all the feels about it. Like that's what made this show was the human side. And that's what, for me, many Saints of Newark has struggled with with the exception of, as Rich brought up, the female characters. I would have watched a whole movie about like the Livia Soprano dynamic. Uh, and I think the woman who played the Italian girlfriend, she was also a, an incredible character and, and fascinating and really did a great job. But for me, I think where this, like I said, I think the portrayals of the characters we know and love were amazing. I think that where it, it just, it doesn't capture that like essence. And maybe it is because that's something that either Tony, James Gandolfini brought to it or it was not something that like existed in mob culture of that time. Right. Um, unfortunately, we're in a fundraising mode right here, uh, right now. So we're going to have to take a break. I would like to continue this conversation. But I also, we need a lot of time, I think, to talk about Dave Chappelle. So we're going to pause here. Uh, Rich and Carolyn are going to be right back right now. Uh, some people are going to ask you to support this show. Very brief break. Uh, if you would consider doing it while we're doing this, that'd be really great. Our show gets a little bit more credit if you donate during our hour. And you're listening to The Colin McEnroe Show on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lee Newton. I'm here with Jeff Cohen. And uh, we'd love for you to join us right now and support this wonderful program. Of course, Colin is a Connecticut treasure. He has been a part of the discourse in this state for decades, either as a reporter, as a columnist, uh, commercial radio host. But, of course, now he is at Connecticut Public Radio I think it's the best work he's ever done in his career, and we want to keep him here. We want to keep this great program going for years to come. You can help do that by supporting it right now at 1-800-584-2788 or go to ctpublic.org. And today is Sustainer Day, Jeff, so we are so excited if we can reach 75 sustaining gifts or sustainer upgrades mm. All day long, uh, then our wonderful leadership and legacy donor, Valerie Friedman, is going to kick in an additional $5,000 challenge grant, which we can put right to work for more Colin McEnroe shows for you. So for this hour, uh, breaking that daily uh, goal down, we're looking for eight sustainers this hour. So please, if you want to give, become a sustainer right now and join us. Go to ctpublic.org. Or call us 1-800-584-2788. Yeah, and if you already give like $10 a month, if you go to 11, that counts for us. If you it go does. to 12, that counts for us. And it's a, it's, a great, it's a great way to just 
double down on your commitment to Connecticut Public and to this organization and to the great team of people who bring you the Colin McEnroe Show. And I would agree uh, with Lee that Colin really is one of our most unique. Um, he'd he'd probably like snort laugh if I called him a treasure. And so I won't do that, but, uh, he is unique. You're not going to find you're, I dare you to find someone, uh, with a show like this elsewhere. Uh, it, I just take me up on it and email me, uh, Jay Cohen at ctpublic.org if you find one. Cause I don't, I don't think there, there are many options, uh, like Colin, there aren't people like him. His brain, uh, is a is a unique place, and we're just guests in it sometimes. And so it, he lets us in, and he has these fantastic shows. Everything from, I mean, you just can't even. I was trying to think back to some of the shows, Lee, that I remember from a long time ago. I mean, yeah. there have been goats in the studio. There's one <laughs> on beer, and then the next day it's about nuns. I mean, it's it's just nothing is off limits, and that's why you love him. And he is. Uh, a human and uh, brings his whole self and his vulnerability to his work. And it's great. So that's the kind of show that you get here on Connecticut public. Colin is an amazing resource. We're thrilled to be able to work with him. And uh, what you can do is say, you know what? I want to support that. I'm listening because I like the Colin McEnroe show. I support this effort and uh, I want to be one of the eight sustainers that Jeff and Lee are talking about this hour. Uh, so do give us a call and become a sustaining giver. We're at 1-800-584-2788. Uh, we're also at ctpublic.org. Yeah, and uh, I have a great option for you. If you want to become a sustainer right now, we have a brand new item. This is our Connecticut Public Long Sleeve T-shirt. Of course, it's getting a little chilly outside, so this is a, a nice time to maybe uh, get a new long sleeve tee, and we have one for you. It's charcoal gray, 100% cotton, and it has on the front, it says Curiosity, T-E-E, and uh, huh. it says the official garb of those who wonder. And on the side, you've got on the sleeve, uh, of course, our logo, a little uh, P logo on the back of the shirt, so it's a really great charcoal gray shirt uh, that you can show your support and your love and affection for Connecticut Public Radio uh, by choosing that today for twelve fifty a month. So do that right now and help us reach that goal of eight sustainers this hour. All you have to do is call us 1-800-584-2788 or go to ctpublic.org and click on that red donate button in the corner. And because Colin probably has done a show on P, uh, when you say a little P logo, you mean the branded P as in Connecticut Public, just just so we're all clear. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call. Eight sustainers today. If you're already a sustaining member, great. Uh, you can up your contribution. But look, uh, this is our earnest and honest way of coming to you every so often to support the operation and to support the organization. And we are growing. We are uh, not staring into the COVID abyss and, and closing our eyes and getting under our blankets. We are here serving you, telling more stories, bringing you more shows. Please support that effort. 1-800-584-2788. And thanks. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. 
So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, we're back. Our panelists today are Rich Holland, principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center and Commissioner on Cultural Affairs for the City of Hartford. Carolyn Payne, an actress, comedian, dancer, founder uh, and director and choreography of Kinetic Dance. We're about to talk about Dave Chappelle for, I don't know, how, the what time, uh, many times. Uh, and Chappelle's Netflix specials in particular uh, do, in fact, plow such interesting and at times troubling territory that it's impossible to stay away from him. So Dave Chappelle, The Closer, live in Detroit. This is a, a stand-up special uh, in which Chappelle, first of all, more or less begins by announcing that it's the capstone on a series of specials that uh, he's found himself in a conversation he wants to bring to an end. Uh, now, a lot of the special itself, uh, a lot of the, the stand-up that you see, it includes an awful lot of history, a lot of score settling, a lot of attempts to bury hatchets, a lot of attempts to dig up hatchets and start waving them around again. Sometimes it's the same hatchet in about a 10-minute span. Um, and uh, I'm dying to know what our panelists think about it. So, uh, Rich, I'm going to have you begin again. Um, I know that you were on the time we talked about Stick and Sticks and Stones, which was the uh, immediately uh, previous Chappelle special. And my recollection was that you were not entirely buying everything that Chappelle was putting out there. Not that anybody probably ever is, but I know where where kind of locate yourself now in the Chappelle universe. Yeah, I, I don't think I've moved, and I don't think he's moved. Um, uh, so we're we're into like a couple of was was that the last one or was that um, two before this one? No, sticks and stones. Uh, Pants will correct me on Slack if I'm wrong, but uh, um, sticks and stones immediately precedes this one. Okay, so um, I don't feel like he's he's moved very much at all, um, and uh, and I found that kind of problematic. I mean, uh, he's he's towing the line here. Um, what I do find uh, fascinating uh, about him is uh, he, to me, uh, defines um, what a professional uh, comedian is. You know, he's he, his mastery of pace, uh, his way of making it feel like so unrehearsed, like he's just talking to you. You know, and he hasn't considered these lines and he hasn't considered these arcs and he hasn't considered this repeating theme that's going on in the background, this callback. Um, uh, and he does all that so impeccably well that you feel like you're eating out of his, you know, like he's got he's got us all eating out of his hands. And um, and you could he almost gets to that point where he could take some pretty. Uh, intensely hateful uh, statements on them, you know, and, uh, and is smooth enough to get away with it, right? And, uh, and I think that um, uh, the best 
race baiters do that. The best misogynists do that. Um, uh, um, in fact, I don't think that race baiting and misogyny would ha- would exist the way it does if there weren't people who are as good as Chappelle um, at propelling it forward. And um, and I think that he's doing that with this uh, with transphobia right now in a manner that's really dangerous. And um, uh, and I listen to the audience a lot in this show, uh, uh, not just Chappelle. And uh, I listen to their willingness uh, to get behind um, uh, these ideas that he's putting out. I listen to their willingness to support his defense of it. You know, his redirecting of, you know, of ugly transphobic things that he's saying, you know, and just the simple wave of the hand and saying like, well, that's not what I was doing. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's to me like alarming. Um, uh, and yet I don't want it to go away. Right. Uh, I think that we need to sit with that alarm and, uh, and we need to take, take in, um, the power of the charismatic performer, uh, and, uh, what they could do and undo. So uh, before I uh, hear from Carolyn on this, I, we want to give you a little sense of this cat. This is going to be B2. Uh, w- as Rich has suggested, an awful lot of this special has to do with uh, divisions which exist between Chappelle and both the gay community and specifically the trans community uh, and, and in fact, the entire LGBTQ community. By the way, I don't think he ever gets those initials in the, in the right order whenever he mentions them. Uh, but here he is uh, talking about himself and the gay community. You guys are confusing the emotions. You think I hate gay people, and what you're really seeing is that I am jealous of gay people. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. I'm not the only black person that feels this way. We blacks, we look at the gay community, and we go, God damn it, look how well that movement is going. <laughs> look how well you are doing. And we've been trapped in this predicament for hundreds of years. How the are you making that kind of progress? I can't help but feel like if slaves had baby oil and booty shorts, we might have been free a hundred years sooner. You know what I mean? All right, Carolyn, I will confess that I laughed at that. Um, You had some pretty interesting experiences watching this special. I don't know which ones you want to talk about first. Well, so I had heard, you know, everything swirling around on the Internet about this, and I was nervous to watch it because I am actually I'm not a fan of cringy comedy. Uh, I like comedy that provokes and makes you think and and challenges you. And I like stuff that walks the line, but like there's, you can go over the line. And Dave Chappelle, really, he he can go either way for me on this. so I actually, I, I baited uh, Alex, I live with a gay man and I baited him into watching it with me because he's a good litmus test for me because he wildly will get, he gets, he'll get real heated with things. He's into cancel culture. Uh, I shared in an email that like, he still won't eat Barilla pasta. <laughs> like, so, you know, he, I, I wanted to have his opinion. I wanted to socially watch this with him and see, uh, and, you know, maybe it's because I had read all this stuff going into it and had heard things online one way or the other. I it wasn't 
as bad. I don't know if that's a good thing, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and, you know, I think that Dave Chappelle is just a master of this. Like he can really like, I, I, I phrased it in, in my email. Like there are some comedians who are just, they're just dicks, you know, and he's not, he is good at playing that playing that dick and using that to talk about issues and whether or not these are his feelings on these issues or him actually working through his feelings on these issues it's different it doesn't have that i i don't buy it for him being like a, a complete bigot and jerk i do believe that he uses comedy to provoke and to have these dialogues and you know working things out with the audience and himself so i mean I, I actually enjoy this and I have not seen his other specials. Um, but I, I thought that this was, this was pretty, I, I thought it was well done. There was a lot in it that made you think and made you laugh and made you cringe. So it's worth the watch for that. Yeah. So uh, let me just sort of say a little bit about how I reacted to this, too. So Rich and I were on a show together talking about Sticks and Stones, which I, I liked a lot better than he did or than Jacques Lamar. And I think Karen McDonough, I don't think anybody liked it. But I actually thought it was pretty terrific. And, and I think one of the values of Chappelle when he's on, when he's good, is, you know, as parts of our society become more and more closed off and enclave-like and self-protective and, and, and over-policing, uh, and I've just got a column out today in which I just talk about how my I'm ready for the wokeness movement to end. You know, Chappelle, Chappelle is sort of out there, you know, and, and he takes his lumps uh, gleefully and he dishes out lumps gleefully. And, and I think he's kind of necessary that way. I don't like this special very much. I think, first of all, one of the problems is it's located way too much in the past. This is very much about his past, things that have come up in the past, scores he wants to settle, things he wants to straighten out, points he really needs to make about himself. And I think that's the other problem with this special. That I thought Sticks and Stones was observationally very good about the entire culture and a lot of things going on. There's almost no moment in this special where Chappelle isn't essentially addressing the whole question of who he is and how he's perceived. I mean, it's very nearly an obsession all the way through. And, and Rich, I share your sense, too, that the trans stuff, there's so many ways that he could go with the trans stuff that could be funny and, and considerably less destructive. And, and he tries to take himself off the hook at the end by talking about this very uh, supportive, mutually supportive relationship that he had with a now deceased uh, trans aspiring comedian um, and and maybe goes a little bit too far about and talking about in a very self-congratulatory way about trust funds he set up for a, a child and stuff, and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. I just thought, wow, you could have done this so much better, you know, um, and, and, and it, it it's the hostility is still clearly there. The grudge is still there. And, and it's he hasn't really turned a corner. I guess, Rich, that's kind of what you were saying. He's still right where he was during Sticks and Stones for you. Exactly. That's where it was. And, and frankly, um, uh, with uh, this, uh, this trans comedian and, and this really touching individual story uh, of this um, trans woman that had opened for him at, at one point um, uh, and this, this kind of tenderness uh, that grew out of uh, a respect for how, you know, she was genuinely funny. Um, and therefore um, gave her some extra slack there, right? Um, uh, some, you know, what I call, you know, tolerance, right? And I say tolerance with an eye roll. 
Um, uh, and to me, the, the arc of this whole um, performance came down to uh, the, the trans equivalent of, but, but I had a black friend, so everything I'm saying right now is okay and fine. Um, and it's not. You know, it's just, it's not that simple. The out is not that simple. And it ended up feeling kind of um, intensely manipulative uh, um, how he used that, uh, that story in, in this, uh, in the show. Yeah, you know, uh, Carolyn, uh, one of the axioms of comedy is, you know, for, first of all, the comedians basically think, and, and he talks about being part of a tribe of comedians, and he thinks that this one particular uh, trans woman was part of that tribe, and it was the reason that they could get along. Um, but the truth is, I mean, what, one of the axioms is, if you can make it funny enough, you know, if you can really make it funny enough, you can get away with essentially anything. And and that's basically how Chappelle has lived. My problem with this special is I didn't think that was his aim anymore. I didn't think it was his aim in, in many instances to, to tell the funniest joke that he could. The aim, once again, to me, it seemed was to either explain himself or refuse to explain himself or explain why he shouldn't have to explain himself, none of which I find is interesting. Yeah, I get the sense that uh, there they, these comedy specials kind of had a journey that he that he was on. And and I think that a lot of, you know, I, I always joke that I feel like a lot of comedians are using their their time on stage, their comedy is like their therapy. Like yeah. they are the audience is like them just talk. It, it's like the same as talking to a therapist is that is what a lot of comedians really it has that same release, you know, and you get that kind of same, I'm just going to talk through this right now. We're going to like go through this and see what sticks and see what comes out and see what you relate to and what, what feels, you know, what feels right. And there's kind of this like exploratory, uh, element with that. And I do, uh, I, I do think that if I had watched all of the others, I am guessing that this was not his like peak necessarily of where he was going with this. So I am intrigued now to go back and and watch them and kind of see this like this journey because I I think that Chappelle is really smart and I think that he does tend to craft things in an interesting way. So like I said, I mean, I I think that there is an element here where yes, he doesn't always hit hit the right joke for this. And in fact, like is it teetering on this line of like danger of, and and I didn't find the whole thing with uh, da- I didn't think that his story, his personal account with and talking about Daphne was exploitive. I didn't find that as offensive as as Rich did, but I did see this all as him trying to say like this is me putting an end to this. I'm not talking about this, and it's like I said, there's an arc here that I think he has gone through, uh, and I you know. I, I wonder where his what his next what his next target will be the next group that he's going to provoke. Yeah, and I just wonder, Rich, whether you can get away with sort of saying, uh, well, talking a whole bunch of crap once again about a community, and then saying, okay, well, now I'm ready to put a pin back in the grenade, so it's over. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, fine for you, you know. Go ahead. He wasn't just talking crap about the community. What he he um, bifurcated the community, right? Mm-hmm. You know what he did in this show is he said, "Okay, 
let's be cute and funny about baby oil and booty shorts, something that everybody's going to get, you know, could get behind and, and chuckle about together, right? Um, and then what he did was he separated um, uh, the trans community, right? And then uh, made uh, triangulated alliances um, with, uh, um, with radical feminism um, and lifted that up. You know, it's like, see, I'm with, you know, the radical feminists on this because I'm a feminist too, right? You know, and that kind of, of politicization of issues is what I'm seeing as really dangerous, right? You know, because he's, he intentionally went in uh, with the intention of, you know, of creating this, who are you going to stand with? You know, if I lift you up, you know, then you got to stand with me and knocking this down. Um, and, uh, and I found that that's the part that I was finding really um, manipulative. Yeah. The last thing that I'd like to say about this is that there are, you know, for a guy who has, as you say, this almost kind of Sinatra-like control of his pace and, and his uh, uh, affect of casualness, you know, there the stuff that I just can't believe he thinks he can get away with, you know, and, and some of it, I mean, there's the trans stuff, which, you know, I think is right out there and, and, and people are talking about it. I think his misogyny, I know he makes jokes about uh, his own, the, you know, the idea that he could be perceived as, uh, as, as being a misogynist, but he is, you know, to a certain degree. He's got a whole thing about strippers with dirty feet and being the guy who yells at them and tells them to put their feet back in the dirt and stuff. And I, I found that degrading as opposed to funny. He has a bit about getting into a fist fight with a lesbian, which is not in the least bit funny and really kind of disturbing, um, and particularly some of the things that he, he says about that fight. And, and Rich, to your point, listening to the audience react to that is a little bit like listening to the people clap along with Borat when he's singing Throw the Jew Down the Well. It's kind of like, <laughs> really, you're laughing at this stuff right now? You're, you're, a scare, you're scarier than he is. Anyway, we have to take a quick break so the, our panelists will have time to make some recommendations uh, on the other side. Uh, it's Dave Chappelle, uh, The Closer, live from Detroit. Uh, you make up your mind whether you want to watch it. The evidence of things unseen, the book of light, the mansions of the moon, the bones of fear to own, recently discovered in everything but no, the doubt is doubts about it, never made it untrue life, the gift. All right. Oh, we're back. Time for me to say thank you to Kat Pastor, um, infinitely patient and infinitely calm. She's our technical producer. Uh, Jonathan McPants is the producer of this episode of The Nose, as well as almost all the other ones. Uh, our panelists are Rich Holland and Carolyn Payne. Uh, we're going to um, ask them now to make some recommendations to you. Carolyn, why don't you get us started? All right. Um, so it's October and everyone's, you know, rushing to watch some good, scary movies. Uh, I recently watched Midnight Mass on Netflix. It's a series, not a movie. Um, it's the same. Um, it's Mike Flanagan who did Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, it's interesting. I know this is like weird to be endorsing something that I'm not even sure whether or not I liked. But I think it's it's worth the watch uh, because it is interesting uh, and it takes kind of a different a different approach to like a classic horror uh, trope to a classic kind of horror figure. Um, and it, it's I I'm a, I'm, I think I'm a fan of Mike Flanagan stuff at this point. Um, I really liked Haunting a Bly Manor a lot, and this utilizes a lot of the same actors. So, I mean, if you're looking for some good Halloween season watching, uh, it's it's slow moving, but when it gets going, and uh, 
you know, I, I think the the worst part about it is the actors have a lot of monologuing. There's a lot of monologuing that happens, but the actors are really good and and it's interesting. So I will endorse that. Give us the title again. Midnight Mass. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people saying some very nice things about it. Um, enough to uh, fully intrigue me. Uh, Rich, how about you? What have you got to recommend? I've got uh, two things today. Um, one is in keeping with some of what was in the back of my mind as I was watching and, and considering the Chappelle um, uh, session is uh, the Museum of Bad Art. Uh, it started off in a basement of a movie theater in Dedham, Mass., and then moved to Somerville, and now, due to COVID, it's completely online at museumofbadart.org. And it poses the question, uh, or it explores this idea of, can you fake bad art without uh, being obvious that you're faking bad art? Or is bad art truly something that's undefinable that makes it bad art? Um, and, you know, there's a piece of that, not about bad art per se, but there's a piece about, can you really fake this uh, that was... Um, uh, under uh, that, that was in my mind as I was watching Chappelle. Uh, the other thing that I want to lift up is uh, is um, an icon of of creativity in the city of Hartford is Nightfall, and this Saturday uh, Nightfall is having its tenth anniversary. Uh, it's a celebration of the Hartford community of the solstice. It's got music and giant critter puppets and dancers and skits and magic. Uh, under the stars at, at Keeney Park this year. Um, so go check it out. Uh, the gates, I believe, open at two o'clock and the performance starts at six. And it's you get more info at nightfallhartford.org. Um, I think Carolyn and I can add our endorsements. We both worked on night, Nightfall in Seasons Pass, and we are very lucky to have Anne Cubberly, a very special kind of person and a very special kind of talent, uh, the creator of these gigantic puppet things uh, and so much else uh, in our midst. It's um, Chick Austin would be happy uh, to know we still have people like that. So um, I, Ridge got me thinking uh, when he was talking about the women uh, in Many Saints. And so I decided that I'm, I'm going to recommend, because I just rewatched it, Jonathan Demme's movie Married to the Mob. Now, Married to the Mob is not <laughs> the kind of semi-serious <laughs> undertaking that, uh, that David Chase engages in. Uh, it's by and large a, a comedy. But it is... There's actually kind of a wonderful performance by Michelle Pfeiffer as um, as a woman who is married to a mobster who is murdered early on uh, in, in the movie, played by Alec Baldwin, who's you now our director of fundraising here or something. Uh, and um, and it's just a terrific movie. It's got a lot of the things that Demi does really well, including Demi's incredible love of sort of New York diversity. Like all the really cool places uh, are these kind of really interesting kind of multiracial, multicultural, truly multi cultural uh, environments. And that's what she discovers when she leaves this enclave, this kind of mafia enclave, just in the same sense that, you know, Dickie Moltisanti, when he brings records to his old uncle, uh, he brings Al Hurt because he thinks that's jazz, you know, and there's sort of a way in which you have to get out of that umbrella. You have to get out of that enclave and sort of see what the rest of the world is. And Married to the Mob is very much an ode to that. And there's also a wonderful, just super crazy performance by Mercedes Rule uh, as a, a mafia wife who is not planning to leave. So Married to the Mob, loads of fun. It's also loads of fun to talk to Rich Holland uh, and Carolyn Payne, our panelists today, and lots of fun to have you as listeners. And here come some people to ask you to support what you just listened to. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Jeff Cohen. I'm here with Lee Newton. You're listening to The Colin McEnroe Show. Uh, And this is it. It's our fundraising time. This is Sustainer Day. If we get 75 Sustainer gifts this day, uh, we'll be real happy. And if we can get, uh, you know, eight this hour, uh, that will help us out a whole lot. So please do give us a call, 1-800-584-2788. If you want to go online, it is very easy. I've done it myself. You can go there and see the various gifts uh, when you click the donate button at ctpublic.org. But know that shows like Colin, uh, the Colin McEnroe Show and Where We Live and Morning Edition and All Things Considered and all the ones in between come to you because people like you have pledged their support. Please do give us a call and pledge your support now. Become a sustainer, right, Lee? That's right. And I I love that we're doing this today because we're not really, okay, well, let's say we are definitely counting the revenue, but we're really counting the sustainers. And it doesn't matter how much you give, just if you become a a sustainer and get started, you are going to be part of helping us reach that goal of 75 sustainers all day long and releasing that $5,000 challenge grant from Valerie Friedman our wonderful friend. She's a leadership donor here, and she wants to encourage you to become a sustainer. And here's a great option for you. If you want to give $6 a month, which I think is a a pretty reasonable way, maybe you're new to public radio here and you want to get started, this is a great way to do it. Give $6 a month, and we will send you the Colin McEnroe Show Ceramic Mug You are not going to find this in any store. It is only available here. It's got a great uh, illustration of Colin on the side. I always think, you know, there are these rays coming off of his head. It, It looks like a deity to me. And he's a bit of a deity to us here at the station. So uh, if you would love to have this unique item, it is a great thing for you. $6 a month, become a sustainer, and you'll help us reach that goal of eight sustainers this hour. Uh, So do it right now. ctpublic.org. You'll see that red donate button in the corner. Or call us at 1-800-584-2788. Yeah, and when you do call or pledge your support, be sure to leave some comments as to what motivates you uh, to do so. Colin uh, always has some of the best comments because people feel a real (laughs) personal connection to him and the show. Uh, When you've been around uh, for some time, you generate a bit of a following, or or maybe it's just your friends who are listening, (laughs) but I think it's a following. Uh, And Colin, uh, his comments are great. So please do give your comments when you call 1-800-584-2788. But again, the goal really uh, for today on Sustainer Day is to get as many sustaining gifts as we can. 75 is the goal. Eight this hour. So please do pledge your support with your credit card on a monthly basis so we can plan. 1-800-584-2788. Thank you so much.